Blog Talk Radio. Hi, and welcome to The Art of Film Funding. I'm your co-host, Claire Papan, along with Carol Dean, author of the best-selling book, The Art of Film Funding. Carol is also the founder and president of From the Heart Productions and the host of this show. Today we are joined by our guest host, filmmaker Heather Lenz. She's a filmmaker best known for Kusama Infinity, a feature-length documentary about artist Yayoi Kusama that premiered at the Sundance Film Festival and received international distribution. Dion Labriola is a producer, director, animator, and editor whose recent film, Dear Ike, Lost Letters to a Teen Idol, recounts the surprising story of his childhood quest to contact his boyhood idol, Ike Eisenman, star of the 1975 Walt Disney movie Escape to Witch Mountain. Dion grew up in Akron, Ohio, and studied painting at the Cleveland Institute of Art before transferring to the Art Institute of Chicago, where he focused on video. Later, he moved to Los Angeles to work as an artist, editor, and animator. And Heather, I have to say, it is so great to have you back. Oh, well, thank you so much. Um, And thanks for the lovely introduction. And Dion, it's such a pleasure to have you here today. I'm so excited to have the opportunity to talk um, with you about your movie. Oh, I'm excited to be here and to talk to you again. Great. And um, I also want to say in full disclosure that Dion and I met several years ago in Los Angeles at a company where we worked together making shows for companies like the History Channel and the Food Network. And just by chance, we come from the same area in Ohio featured in Dion's movie and also from the same working class background. Um, yesterday, I rewatched your movie, and it's just really fantastic. And it's actually really hard for me to describe in a way that does it justice, <laughs> because it, it just doesn't compare to anything else. Um, and it's really a life is stranger than fiction story. So, for anyone who hasn't seen it yet, how would you describe <laughs> the movie? Well, you know that's that's always the tricky thing, um, especially for this film because. It is kind of a, I mean, not only is it a, a kind of a unique story, I think it's a unique take on the form. Like, some people who've watched it have been like, well, do you even call that a documentary? Because it's not, I don't think it's what people think of when they think of a standard documentary. You know, it's more, kind of plays more as a narrative. Um, and then as far as what it's about, I mean, it's about, technically, about this 40-year quest I had uh, that started when I was a kid, and I had this big dream of growing up and being a movie maker, and a a huge part of that dream was having Ike star in one of my films, and I always tell people, you know, that was my dream, and I followed that dream, and it led me on this crazy journey, so that, you know, that's 
what the movie is about, what it's really about is, you know, a million other things. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's, it's been tricky to kind of uh, encapsulate it for other people. So. Well, the film definitely uh, shows us your, your passion, your complete commitment, your determination. And it is really interesting to see someone at such a young age just so focused on what they want to do with their life. It's, it's <laughs> really interesting, especially coming from the background that you um, did come from, where, um, as it's you know revealed in the movie, there aren't... Um, people around who, whose <laughs> right. parents are doing these things or, or um, you know, your friend's parents are working in the movie industry or something. It's just so, so, so different. Um, so for any youngsters who may be listening today who may not know, uh, could you tell us a little bit more about Ike Eisenman and the <laughs> kinds of movies and TV shows he was in when you were growing up? Well, uh, like I go into pretty uh, significant detail in the film. The, the the first time I really became aware of him was, and probably his one of his most famous roles was Escape to Witch Mountain. was a was a 1975 Disney film where he plays a, a kid that has uh, magical powers. He and his sister both have these powers and they spend the film trying to figure out um, actually where they came from and, you know, what their whole story is. That was really what cemented him in my mind. But then, I mean, that film landed him a contract with Disney. So he was in all kinds of Disney projects throughout my childhood and adolescence. And he was also, I mean, he would do a lot of commercial work he did um, a lot of TV. He was on TV. It seemed every week he was guest starring on a, on you know he started on Gunsmoke and he was on Police Woman, Chips, Emergency, all of those big '70s and '80s shows. He was eventually on at some point. So yeah, he was he was one of the big child actors of the '70s and '80s. You know there were only a few, and he was one of the he was one of the big ones. Yeah, your movie has some great clips from these different shows, and they also include Wonder Woman and mm, Fantasy yes. Island, um, <laughs> which are great. Uh, in order to get uh, ready for this um, chat with you today, I decided uh, a few days ago to watch Escape to Witch Mountain, <laughs> which um, it's so interesting to see these these shows from several decades ago now. The thing that really, really stood out to me, I must say, was um, there's a scene where there's a bear and um <laughs> and Ike and the his co-star who's a you know who was also a kid at the time they're just walking around with this bear a real bear right. it's not CGI and I was just gasping thinking oh my gosh like this this just seems so dangerous and these days you would just never see anything like this you know no. in a show uh, yeah and well uh, actually one of the scenes that's in my film is um, <laughs> Ike, you know, as a boy, he's playing a baseball and he jumps up. He levitates actually, like twenty-five feet in the air to catch a fly ball, and uh, that's actually him. They didn't. It wasn't a stunt double. They, you know, they they put him in a harness, and it was his first first day on the on the film. They did it. It's like hoisted him up in the air. It's like I don't know if they would do that these days. It's just especially the first day of filming. <laughs> You know, if anything were yeah, to happen, 
no more movie. Right, right. You would you would have um, hurt your star. Uh, yeah, and also I I have to say there's few things I love more than special effects that are sort of so bad they're good, and this does have some of those. So oh, yeah. um, if anyone you know interested in a in a I guess a trek to the past, um, you know, in watching this. So I also want to ask who was Milno, um, and could you talk about your Milno T-shirt? I think it'll help give people an idea of who you were at this age oh gosh yeah um well like i said this my big dream as a kid i had this this idea for this uh animated science fiction fantasy epic film it actually was going to be a film and i had an idea for a sequel ike was actually supposed to star in the sequel and uh, it started just one day I was bored in study hall and just drawing. I mean, I, w- I was always drawing as a kid. And I, I just, you know, drew this crazy monster, animal, creature, whatever. And that became what I did in, in study hall. And I just drew all these creatures. And, you know, most of them were just, you know, crazy, weird animals. And then, But then Milno was m- more like a character, like he was not just some forest creature. He was like a, a sentient, intelligent, advanced uh, alien creature. So I think that was, he kind of became special to me, and uh, I just had this affinity for him. And I don't, I'm not exactly sure <laughs> what happened in my adolescent brain, but one day I just, I was at, you know, at the mall on the weekend, and, and Spencer's Gift had this section where you can make your own t-shirts and I thought that was sounded like a cool idea and I had one that said Milno I had one made that said Milno lives <laughs> you know I, 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 so actually in the interview for the film the my friend Chris who was interviewing me asked me you know why did you decide Milno lives and I honestly that's I don't know what it was specifically I guess I just maybe it was my affinity for you know, just uh, merch at an early age. I don't know, but I decided to put my character's name on a T-shirt, and I wore it at school and, you know, just <laughs> did not make me super popular at school wearing such an odd thing, you know, especially, you know, at age 14 where you don't dare do anything odd. So, but, I, you know, I continuously wore it. I, it's not like something I wore and was embarrassed because I got teased. I, I wore it, like, you know, as a regular part of my, you know, outfits. And, uh, yeah, it, it, soon enough, people all became aware of Milno and knew who he was. So it kind of, kind of worked for whatever the purpose of it was, you know, to get the word out, I guess. Well, it seems like maybe it was also um, to you a way to um, to say this is going to happen. This character is oh. going to be, you know, I'm going to bring this character to life. <laughs> right. Yeah, and it's it's funny. It's kind of taken on a a new significant meaning, you know, with the film because it it almost becomes in the film like a metaphor for this this crazy pursuit and this this <laughs> tenacity, you know, that I had. You know, Milno does finally come to life in the film. So, it's a, it's a so if I'm not, for... 
Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, I don't think you did a crowd campaign for this film, but correct me if I'm wrong, but if you had um, these T-shirts, uh, Milner T-shirts <laughs> would have been a great perk. <laughs> well, I, actually, I've, I've made a few since <laughs> since the film has started showing. A couple people have been like, a couple, uh, some people have been real supporters of the film, and uh, there's uh, one friend of the producers who's, who came to see the film twice, and she was just really supportive on social media. And she just she came up to me at the uh, at the end of the last screening, and she's like, "Oh, you got to start making Milno shirts." So I had to make her one, you know. <laughs> so yeah, well, who knows? It might become something <laughs> after all. Yeah, I agree. If you uh, you know at your website, I think you should be selling the the, the Milno <laughs> Lives shirts um, right now. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so when you decided to make this um, this documentary, how did you get started? What were the first steps you took and what were the first things that you filmed? How did you approach it? Well, the very first thing was just getting Ike on board, um, you know, because without him and without him being willing to talk about, you know, some pretty sensitive stuff on his part, um, the uh, film just wouldn't have worked. So that was the first thing. Um, uh, I contacted him and really before this, you know, we've had minimal, you know, <laughs> contact. Um, and, but uh, I had a kind of a pre-interview phone call with him. We talked for maybe an hour and uh, I learned things about him that I was like, oh, I have to put that in the film, you know. So, uh, yeah, that that went really well. And he's actually, he at the time, he'd been preparing to write his memoir. He's since written it. So he had all these memories fresh and ready to go. So it was kind of, um, you know, fortuitous for me and the film that he, he was super willing to be as open as possible and talk about just everything. So that worked out well. And then, so from there, um, well, I just started setting up interviews and <laughs> the next step was really trying to find the people who um, were, you know, uh, real integral parts of my life as a teenager and who, actually remembered all of this stuff because a lot of my I talked to several classmates and some of them were just like yeah I don't remember anything from the 70s and 80s sorry <laughs> so I you know I pinned down the 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 uh the key players and uh shot those interviews first yeah the interviews with your uh classmates they're really great and also your your high school art teacher's in it and yeah. um oh and your sister she's great in the film you know yeah, she doesn't fantastic. hold her punches since you were her her <laughs> nope. uh you know her brother in terms of like the the way she talks about you and the way that she felt that the things you were doing like wearing this milno t shirt to school were were <laughs> you know impacting your life at the time so um yeah you did a great yeah, job she was, she was a real surprise interview. kind of standout interview star when uh when we shot because we shot mm, three of the interviews in one day at uh my actual junior high school it was 
actually the last one of the last days it was open as a school we got to go in and and shoot after they closed and uh yeah I shot her and my best friend David and my friend John that I went to school with and she was just <laughs> I started asking her questions and she was just she was fantastic I was like Carmela <laughs> you're a natural how did you learn to do this and you know she's a she's a therapist just she was like Dion I talk as a job it's my job to talk to people so she was yeah she was surprising yeah she was great uh and this film it incorporates animation and i would love it if you could talk about the segment that kicks the film off and also you know your role not only as the director but as the animator in the film (laughs) right well um there's yeah so the idea I had this idea for a film, and it started actually with a book. Well, it started with the characters that I drew in in study hall, and they I kind of worked them into a short story once, and that developed into a book. So I had this whole book, and the first scene of the book um, was this turned out to be the first scene, well, the first scene after the title credit in um, in the film, and I just. Uh, when I that was one of the first things I decided on the film, you know, working on the film is just like it has to start this way. I have to realize because it was in it's been in my head for 40 years. You know, I knew exactly what I wanted it to look like. Um, so that was you know, that was exciting to kind of finally realize that. You know, it was the the beginning of both films. You know, just the actual the the dream film and the the documentary film that became reality um yeah and that that was that was a kind of done in a, in a more traditional animation cell type you know frame by frame um way whereas the rest of the animations that were i did for the reenactments in the film those were done in a more computer um computerized way um put it in the simplest form uh just because i wanted it to look you know i wanted the reenactments to look significantly different than the scenes that i had drawn that were supposed to be from the original animated movie and uh yeah those just started um once i started editing the film i realized i was going to need reenactments and i thought well i'll just animate them and Little did I realize it was going to be, you know, a hundred and some scenes of animation that I would eventually do that ended up taking, you know, two, three years to finish. So, but at the beginning, it it sounded like a great idea. (laughs) Yeah, these things always do, don't they? So for people that aren't familiar with animation, the kind of hand drawing you're talking about for this intro, I mean, you just said Mm -hmm. it took years. For every, let's say, I don't know, 30 seconds of animation, how long does that take uh, roughly to make? Oh, well, yeah, it's funny. I think the opening scene is maybe, I don't think it's quite 30 seconds, but it's, it's around there, and that took me, that took me, I think, three to four weeks to finish. Um, and it, it's also, <laughs> that was one of the first things I did. And I had not really done that kind of animation in a long time. So it was, I kind of had to, you know, brush up my skills. Um, 
So it might, <laughs> it might not have taken a professional animator that long, but it's yeah, it was it was hours and hours and hours of work because you know each second is twelve or twenty four frames you draw um, on you know two frames or twelve frames a second you could draw uh, you shoot on two so I won't get into the technical animation stuff. But there's a there's twelve drawings for it every second. So, you know, thirty seconds is three hundred and sixty drawings. Which have to be, you know, drawn. You have to do the animation, you have to figure out the motion and then you have to go in and actually, you know, make it look good and then you have to color it and do the backgrounds and the add smoke and atmosphere and you know, it's 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 a really involved process. One thing about it in terms of um, setting up the film and, and sort of showing, again, who you were as a kid, you know, we get to see some of these characters that you imagined as a, as a, as a youngster. And right. I have to... I have to say, watching it, it reminded me a little bit of um, a scene from Napoleon Dynamite where he's drawing his favorite animal, which you may recall is a liger. <laughs> you know, it's funny. The, the Napoleon Dynamite has come up uh, a couple times in reference to this film. I guess, you know, there's just some some things about it that <laughs> I guess people, you know, tend to think or remind them of that film for whatever reason. Well, but I yeah, think he's not, so earnest. <laughs> yeah, he's so um, earnest in his pursuits. And for anyone who doesn't know, a liger is a combination of a lion and a tiger. But um, in your case, um, your uh, your um, creations, your drawings were even more fantastical, very sci-fi. Mm. Um, so anyway, much you know, even more unique. But um, yeah, I think <laughs> I think there's just something about the the seriousness with which you approached it. Right. Right. <laughs> I also wanted to add in some of the animations your 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 well the, the the animated version of you as a as a young man is drawing at what appears to be a pink formica table and and I had to laugh <laughs> because I think I had that I had that exact same table when I lived um, in Ohio but I think okay. now my brother has it. Oh really? There was a lot of mm-hmm. money now. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. know what happened to that days. one. There's. There's actually there's in, that was a film that was a table that's actually from a photograph from you know when I was you know four or five from my first house in Ohio and then in some of the later reenactments there's a table that has a, a like a a more pattern for Micah that was my grandmother's table and my sister actually owns that now so I was actually able to you know take photographs and use that in the film. Well, yeah, um, that's that's cool. So all these things from your past made their way into the film, and and I was just yeah. shocked by the volume of archival materials you had. You know, the photos, the yearbooks, the drawings, <laughs> the letters, all these things. So that was really great that you had these yeah. materials. So when people see movies like this that are finished by people like you and they're they're polished, I think in some ways the they it makes it seem effortless. And right. I'm wondering what, if you could talk about some of the challenges you had to overcome to make the movie, including the financial side or anything you would like to talk about. Yeah, well, you just mentioned all the archival material. I mean, I think that's, you know, I was fortunate that <laughs> most of the stuff was 
you know, just in my drawer, you know, that I just kept it for so long. But um, finding some of the archival films, uh, like the the toughest one was his Doublemint Gum commercial. Trying to track that piece of video down was really tricky. Um, it's on YouTube, but, you know, it's like the lowest possible quality you know it's someone uploaded it 10 years ago so i you know i tried getting it's a it's a commercial for wrigley's that woman gum so i tried getting in touch with the people at wrigley i tracked down the the um advertising agency that made the the commercial i tried to get in touch with them i actually tracked down the guy who wrote the jingle he's living in New York City and I talked to him on the phone and he didn't even have an idea so I eventually found um, one uh, footage company that had it and you know thank God because I don't know what else I would have done Um, and then just getting the rights to that stuff luckily uh, most of the footage uh, just fell under fair use Um, which I don't know if, you know, people who watch documentaries really think about that or know about fair use, but um, it's a godsend to documentary filmmakers. Uh, It's just there's certain rules that allow filmmakers to use um, uh, archival material, any kind of copyrighted material in a film, as long as it, you know, follows certain specific legal guidelines. So um, I would say 95% of the stuff that I used, I was able to fair use. Um, there was one, <laughs> I say, I think the single toughest thing was the, there's an article I used from 16 Magazine. And uh, the the lawyer who looked at my film to just, you know, to clear all the fair use stuff, she flagged that and said, you know, uh, that you're, you're using it in the same way as it was intended to be used to convey information about Ike. So that doesn't fall under fair use. So I had to track down, you know, this, this magazine hasn't been in publication for 20, no, probably 30 years. So tracking down the person who owns the copyright to that was, was quite, uh, quite a journey, (laughs) but I did it. So I have the rights to Come Home With Me by Ike Eisenman. <laughs> yeah, I, I've also been on the quest for archival materials like this. And, yes, it's right. quite a challenge. And, and for anyone listening who isn't familiar with fair use, we did actually a podcast on fair use with oh. um, a lawyer named um, Jack Lerner. So if anyone uh, wants to listen to that, but yes, I appreciate especially going after a publication that no longer exists would be quite challenging. Uh, could you could you talk about it? now? Obviously, as you mentioned, some of these drawings and things you did as a child ended up in, or as a you know a teen ended up in the film. But um, how long did it take from the time you decided to start making the documentary until the time you finished? What was what was that journey and and you could discuss this obviously you're probably working other jobs and so forth as indie filmmakers often are so but if you could talk about that i'd appreciate it right well i was fortunate um i had been working pretty steadily at the same production company as an editor uh for over 10 years 
Um, and that company just kind of dissolved. And so I was looking at, for the first time in 10 years, a break. And, you know, I thought, okay, I could get a job or I can do something of my own, which I, I like to do, you know, from time to time. I've had shorter breaks. Um, I've made, you know, a couple of music videos or whatever. And uh, I've had this idea in my head to do this film. Uh, originally, I thought, I conceived that it was just going to be a short. So I thought, you know, I'll take a couple months off. <laughs> I'll do this little 20-minute film. And uh, then, then, you know, I'll resume my normal career. But uh, once I got started on it, and especially once I talked to Ike that first that first phone call, and you know found out there was all this other information about him, and that I wanted to include, it just you know slowly became this hour long film. Um, and then once again, you know, I shot the interviews, started editing editing it, and decided to animate the reenactments. That's what what really took the most time. So I think from uh, from the moment I decided, yes, this is I'm going to finally do this, uh, I think uh, probably three and a half years to until I, until, until, I until I got to the point where I had the first cut that I started submitting to festivals, which is you know after that there was a whole other chapter, but yeah, about three, three and a half years to do that. Yeah, these things, they can be quite, um, uh, you know, it's always a labor of love working on an indie film and, and um, trying to pull it together financially. So mm-hmm. you you wore many hats on the film in terms of everything that you did, not just directing, the animation. Obviously, you were involved in clearance, and it was just, <laughs> yep. you know, a beast in and of itself. But you did have a producing partner, and I wonder if you could talk a little bit about your collaboration. Yeah, well, I mean, he was pretty integral um, being kind of my connection to Ike. He was, I mean, he, uh, he was the person who first reached out to Ike for, on my behalf. Um, to, and could you just say his name? Uh, sure, Andy. <laughs> I don't want to give away too much of the film. but uh, Oh, okay, okay. You know, well, you know, people have, seen the film will know uh, people who haven't might want to you know <laughs> just close their ears but yeah uh, Andy Steinlin. Uh and uh, so that was the first thing and then once we started going he just I just would continuously go to him for advice and to run things by him and then you know once I started editing he would take a look at the cuts and you know, kind of make suggestions about the music or the timing or, you know, some of the way that some of the the funnier bits played out. He was good at kind of, uh, you know, guiding them, rearranging them so they'd be a little funnier, you know, pack a little more punch. Uh, he's an actor, so he kind of has a, you know, he has that kind of sensibility about him. So, um, yeah, that's it developed from what was just going to be, you know, originally. He originally just to, you know, help me set this thing up and kind of, you know, develop like everything else did as the, the more significant role for him. 
Thank you. And so on the surface, this movie is about your childhood obsession with being a filmmaker and having Ike star in one of your films. But it's also about what it was like growing up gay in the 1980s during a time when our society was a lot less accepting about diversity than it is now. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about your reactions to the film from that community when you've screened it. Yeah. Well, it's funny. Um, Obviously, <laughs> because Andy and I, uh, when we show the film, uh, like the first we premiered in L.A., it was a lot of our friends. So obviously, the you know we're both gay men. We have a lot of gay friends. So <laughs> we had a big, big gay audience. And uh, but it's not just gay men. But I think everybody in general kind of has the same react or a similar reaction is like, yeah, I can, I totally relate to you, you know, as a kid, because everybody as a kid had some kind of, you know, dream, whether it was <laughs> as crazy and elaborate as mine was. I think that's what people really respond to. Um, I think for um, kids growing up gay, maybe they, they tend to um, uh, sometimes get a little more involved in those crazy fantasies, you know, as a way to escape uh, uh, reality, which they kind of can't face at the moment, uh, which was definitely my case. So, yeah, people have definitely responded to that. And, you know, I've, I've heard a lot of the, you know, oh, that was me as a kid or a lot. A lot of, I've also gotten a lot of, oh, I, Ike was my first crush. <laughs> so many people have said that to me, um, both, you know, men and women, you know, Ike was just kind of, you know, he was, he was one of the kids that we grew up with. So, you know, he was, he was fair game for a crush material. Um, and then we also, uh, we played, uh, our, the one, uh, LGBTQ festival we played was in Phoenix. Um, unfortunately it was, it was uh, a virtual festival this year, so it was you know you don't get the kind of reactions that you do from a a live audience. But um, yeah, when we when we do play a live audience, we I, people inevitably come up to me and say, "Oh yeah, I totally relate." So. I think another thing this film is about is um, privilege. And again, um, as a child, you grew up in this working class background in um, Akron, Ohio, which was at the mm-hmm. time the rubber capital of the world with um, companies like um, Goodyear and Firestone there. And then you have, um, you know, this interest, this dream and working with Ike, who was already a Hollywood insider, you know, as a young right. person, which meant he had other opportunities that you could only dream about, you know, because um, he, he, he already, you know, he was already, he was already in it. <laughs> he was already yeah, in yeah. the industry. And I just wonder if you have any, you know, if there's anything you'd like to say about that in terms of, I don't know, how you thought about the film or how, um, I don't know, people have reacted to the film or things like that. Um. You know, uh, I'm trying to think. Well, I think to me the most uh, there's a bit that I didn't even realize that it, there was so much of that until actually I talked to Ike and you know uh, learned his actual the extent of his involvement with Disney. You know, and that 
<laughs> I mean, I didn't know at the time that he, he and he was really a super talented. I mean, he's, he's all his life been an artist, but <laughs> it wasn't until I started like well into editing the film. He was like, oh, I, I found some of my old drawings I'm going to send to you. And uh, when I got those, I just at that point, I realized, wow, <laughs> he he definitely could have been a successful animator because he was he is just super talented like the the drawings he sent to me where he did when he was 13 they just look like you know something a professional animator would have created so um i think if <laughs> if i'd seen those drawings as a kid uh, it would have made me just blown my mind because <laughs> uh yeah, he was super talented and, and um, definitely had uh, different um, uh, avenues accessible to him. And, uh, and like me, interestingly, he uh, decided to pursue a different path, you know, um, more as a fine artist than, uh, you know, an, an animator, so... We just uh, we, we did we had different different paths available to us, and you know we just kind of eventually found our way. Yeah. Well, I don't want to give too much away, but in the movie, there's someone who gives you advice um, when you yeah. were still teen about how to achieve these big goals you had that were just so <laughs> ambitious and. So for anyone listening now who may be an inspiring filmmaker, I was wondering what kind of what kind of advice you might give them about how to pursue a career in film or how to make their first documentary. Um, I would love any tips you might have. <laughs> well, I mean, one of the significant things that this person told me was, you know, learn as much as you can um, about, you know, movie making. And I think that's, that's important because uh, I kind of get this sense that a lot of people, you know, they just say, oh, I want to be a filmmaker. You know, they want to be a director, you know, so they, they pursue that idea. But, you know, there's so much that goes into filmmaking. You know, there are so many makers behind a film, you know, whether it's the, the costumes and the sets or you know, editing. You know, I think most people don't even think about editing you know until you actually start making films it's definitely something i never thought of as a teenager i'm sure i did not know what an editor was when i was a teenager but that's eventually what i became so i think to 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 leave yourself open to possibilities um and you know just kind of find out what part of the filmmaking process really draws your attention and your interest because it's, it's like it's an entire industry so there's thousands and thousands of positions available and I think you know for kids <laughs> for me growing up you know to say I wanted to make movies was just crazy because you know even just to make a movie back then I mean when I first started this there weren't even camcorders available there wasn't videotape to make a movie you had to get a super 8 camera which and then get the film and get developed and have a projector and to edit it you, you actually used 
pieces of tape, you know, it was a, definitely a different process than it is, you know, now you just pick up a phone and you can create, you know, feature films with an iPhone. So kids definitely, and I think they're, they have all these tools and I think they're, they're learning to use them and use them well. It's just becoming part of their, you know, vocabulary. So it's, it's a different world now. So things are, I think it's much more accessible and hopefully <laughs> they won't have to go to the great extents that I, I had to go to pursue my dream. And I don't know if you can answer this without uh, giving too much away, but could you tell us what the best part of making the movie was? Or if it's maybe a second best, if you don't want to say what the best best was. <laughs> you will probably, probably find that out when they watch the um, movie. You know, I don't know. Uh, well, I think I, there were two things. Um, first, I think coming up with the music, um, with, you know, Gosh, I don't, that's another surprise in the film. But um, now if they've gotten this far, <laughs> um, I worked with you know I'll just say one of my best friends from that I've known since first grade. Uh, I asked him to do you know one little section of music at the very beginning because um, he's a super accomplished musician and. Um, I was just like, yeah, if you want to do this, let's try it out. And it eventually turned into him scoring, creating an original score for the entire movie. So that was surprising and fun. I'd never really worked with a composer that closely. Um, so that was great. Um, not being, you know, subject to the usual music library choices of, you know, <laughs> television cable documentaries that I'm used to. Uh, so that was that was a lot of fun, and then I think the other thing that was uh, uh, surprising and fun was having or finding uh, Talon Bone, the kid that uh, reads my letters, does my um, does the VO work in the film, because originally I had just recorded those as a scratch track, and there was a lot of debate whether we were going to find somebody to actually record them, and we found him, and it just brought a whole different. Uh, layer to the film which I wasn't expecting and which was it was really interesting to hear the my my words spoken by someone else kind of gave me kind of became a different person a character that I could appreciate and relate to on a different level at that point so that was that was surprising and fun and interesting yeah the VO um, of the of of him reading the letters when you were a kid. They're, they're wonderful. Yeah. Um, yeah and this, fantastic. maybe this will be sort of like an Easter egg for everyone, but um, <laughs> in the, in the film, uh, there's, there's a little um, section about um, MTV and a piece <laughs> you made um, ended up somewhere interesting. And I wonder if you would like to tell people how that happened or, or is that giving too much away? Oh no no! I it mean, it, it okay. goes. It's funny. That's one of the questions I get a lot because it, it goes by really quickly, and there's actually a text on screen that says, "You know, this is a whole other story." So people have often asked me to tell that story. But yeah, uh, in the very early, the maybe first two years of um, MTV, one of the original 
VJ's Martha Quinn. She had a daily trivia question, and she told people, you know, send in your trivia questions. If I read them on air, you'll get an MTV T-shirt. So I was like, I'm going to get a T-shirt. <laughs> so to, to I wrote my question, and to you know, to sweeten the pot, I made this little ceramic MTV uh, planter. It was the M- yellow MTV logo on one side, and you flipped it around, and it was the brick logo, which was their their two main iconic logos from the time. And I mailed it in, and one day she. You know, it was time for the Martha Quinn trivia question. She pulled down. She's like, oh, we would like to thank Dion Labriola of Akron, Ohio. And she put it on set, and it stayed there for two, three years. So, you know, they would do these station IDs with the, the stray cats or whatever sitting on set saying, you know, call your cable company and say, I want my MTV, and the, my little planter would be behind them. So that was pretty exciting for us you know, teenager of the 80s to have their artwork behind the stray cat's heads. (laughs) Yeah, that's so cool. Well, if you ever do a sequel, not only will you be able to um, sell um, the Milner Lives t-shirt, but you could also make some more of those planters (laughs) or make them available at your website. (laughs) I would love to, yeah. I mean, who knows whatever happened to that thing. You know, hopefully someone has it tucked away somewhere. Yeah. And speaking of websites, I would love it if you would share your website, your social media handles for anyone who wants to follow you and your film, if you have a separate um, handles for that. And also tell us where we can see the movie. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think the easiest thing is just to go to DearIke.com. Uh, there's a mailing list. You can sign up for the mailing list to get you know, all the latest news. Uh, there are also you know links to... Facebook, Instagram, Twitter on there. And, uh, yeah, if you sign up and or like the Facebook page, that's usually where I update, give updates on our festival journey. We're, we just had a pretty big run. We played eight festivals beginning in September. Um, just played our last one a couple weeks ago. And hopefully uh, there's a couple more that were submitted to uh, so, you know, hopefully we'll have some news about some in the spring, kind of took a break off in the winter. Um, and yeah, that's the easiest way to keep track of us. I'll definitely, for, <laughs> for those in, uh, you know, who might be fellow Akronites, I'm, I'm definitely going to bring the, bring the film to Akron in the spring, uh, one way or another. So whether it's through a festival or just showing it there, because there are a lot of people in Akron that participated in the film who still have yet to see it. So, well, I'll definitely be doing a screening in Akron at some point. Well, great. That's always it's always fun to go back home and um, and show 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 your work. So that's yeah. exciting. Is is there anything I didn't ask you about that you would like to tell us about before we wrap up? <laughs> Um, you know, I, we, I think we covered a lot, Heather. <laughs> All right. Well, great. And Claire, did you have any final questions you would like to ask? No, no, I'm good. Thank you. And I, I just thought uh, you did a great job covering it very well. And I'm going to have to look this film up for sure. And uh, <laughs> Dion, I'm very grateful. <laughs> I'm very grateful to have you on the show today. Thank you. Oh, sure. Thanks for having me. 
Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you, Claire, and thank you, Dion, and thanks, everyone, for listening. Okay. All right. Be well, everyone. Thanks so much. Okay. Now, in its second edition, Carol Dean's popular book, The Art of Film Funding, has 12 new chapters to cover all areas of film financing and how to avoid expensive pitfalls. Learn how to start with an idea and end with a trailer. How to make an ask for money. Create your story structure and your trailer. Legal advice, fair use, successful crowdfunding, how to ask for music rights, and what insurance you can't shoot without. Available on Amazon under Carol Dean and at FromTheHeartProductions.com. I want to remind our listeners that David Raiklin is a brilliant and talented award-winning musician who scores films and can compose music for a trio or for a full orchestra. David is a very good friend to the independent filmmaker and comes highly recommended by From the Heart Productions. If you need music to help tell your story, please contact him at davidraiklin.com. That's David, R-A-I-K-L-E-N dot com. And Carol and I want to thank you for tuning in to The Art of Film Funding. Please visit our website at fromtheheartproductions.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Good luck with your films, everyone.